Um, right, so we are ending our uh, series on Colossians today, so we'll be looking at the, the last passage. Uh, but before that, I would ask, um, how would you describe your, uh, your work to friends who are living far away? Some of you, I know, live uh, originally, you've got, uh, you grew up in a foreign country. Uh, some of you live far away, you know, you grew up uh, far away, your families are far away in Malaysia or the Philippines. Uh, so how would you describe that to friends who are living far away? Um, I'm sure you would talk about how interesting you find the work, but I think the, a key component to that is talking about your co-workers. You see, that's really important, isn't it? That's really what makes a workplace and what doesn't make a workplace. That one co-worker who's uh, wonderful or that one co-worker who's a complete pain can make or break your day, can't they? Now, this is what uh, Paul is doing here. He's He's spending this final section of uh, Colossians talking mostly about his co-workers, but excitedly praising them. And, uh, but what we have to be careful here is not to fall into the trap of thinking this is just the end part of uh, Paul's letter, and uh, he's just signing off and kind of just ignore it like, you know, like that. So let's read. We are in Colossians chapter 4, <coughs> verse 2 to 18. We use the ESV version if you've got your uh, uh, if you've got your mobile devices and uh, you can change versions. So Colossians chapter four, verse two to eighteen. Further instructions: Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I might make it clear which is how I ought to speak, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Final greetings. Tychitus uh, uh, will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, uh, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning, of, uh, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, that these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus greets you, always struggling on behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. 
And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Let me just pray as we, uh, before we delve into God's word. Father, we pray that you are here with us, opening up our hearts to your words and what you have to teach us. Forgive us that uh, we sometimes are so busy. Um, and Lord, we pray that you clear our minds so that we are receptive to your words. Lord, I pray that you speak through me and that uh, your your family here can see you through this word. In Jesus' name, Amen. You see, even the ESV falls into the trap of kind of seeing this as just a signing off. Um, because they use these really inventive, interesting, exciting passage titles like Further Instructions and Final Greetings. So we have to be really careful not to see this as just a signing off. If, especially if we believe when Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. We must take this passage with the same gravity that we take all the other passages. And though it might not be as exciting as the passage I spoke on last week, uh, I hope that you are paying attention. Um, in fact, we, are, we have been referring to this passage as we've been working through the Colossians. Um, and so we have seen Paul willing to share about his sufferings in chains. We see that here he is in prison and we see at the end he asks them to remember his sufferings. Uh, not in any boastful way. But to pray, and you can see from the context of this passage, that he's not praying to be freed, not praying to help to hit them in, him endure these sufferings, but rather as, um, for example, in chapter 2, this was a mark of his Christian ministry, to separate him from the false teachers the ones who would bring in, you know, expect to be paid for their preaching, the ones who might have driven up in their uh, Ferrari and their, the gold rings that they were, they were wearing. You see, Paul wanted to show what distinctive Christian ministry looked like. And so when he's asking them to remember his sufferings, he's asking them to remember how he is working for them. And to, so that the, the chains do not keep him from doing his ministry. We've also talked about verse 15 and 16. That this letter, like other letters, Paul wrote as instruction not to this, just to this church, but also to the churches in the region. So he talks about you know, passing on this letter to the Laodiceans and reading the letter that was sent to the Laodiceans. This way we can be certain that whilst it is written for a specific audience, the Colossian church, and we have to be aware that there is the context for the early church, it is also written, Paul had in his mind 
that he was writing for a wider church audience, not just in the immediacy, but in the future. So we can answer any questions confidently when, we ask, when we're asked about how relevant this passage is for us today. Paul wrote this for Christians and the wider church. He was aware of that. And that's not even taking into account that God is writing through Paul and the Spirit has preserved this for us. And I would challenge anyone, any God-fearing Christian to read Paul's letters and not be challenged. But we can see here that Paul had in his very mind that he, this letter would be then passed on to other churches. And so as we read these letters, we have to realise that relevance and hopefully be humbled and encouraged and challenged that this is for us. We also see that Paul is not working alone. We've referred to that before. And that he is part of this Christian ministry. And as I read through this passage, I... I actually didn't twig, yeah, I've read through this passage many times, I didn't twig the names that were in this passage. It's only when I came down to study this passage that I realised some of these names. But it encourages us, doesn't it, that we are not lone workers. We are part of a body. The church is described as a body with many parts. And that should encourage you to support those who are here, even just to come to church. If you don't find the music great, apologies, if you don't find the music great or the teaching you find very boring, I will pick on those people who are looking at us if they're falling asleep. I know the names, I will start picking on them, okay? But even if you don't find those exciting, I remember once I was struggling to go to church. Uh, I wasn't finding it interesting, and especially I wasn't finding it easy to get to know people. And for me, that's an incredibly important part of the church, the, the community there. I was encouraged, you're not just going for yourself. It might be that you are going, and that word of encouragement you give to another person might be just what they need. And some of you were here when, you know, a few years ago when... You know, I came a few years after the start, but the numbers were small, and sometimes we would get maybe 10 um, on, a, on a Sunday. A few more makes a difference, doesn't it? And a few more. If you're ever asked to vote because your vote counts, even though it's one of tens of thousands, your vote counts, your presence here counts. You are part of this body, and I hope that you are supporting Craig, and I thank all of those people who are working here, from Craig and uh, those people who are working in ministry here, to those people who immediately and almost unthankingly straight away after the service get up and start cleaning up, and those people who are working at the back with the children, who's something I, could, I couldn't do on a Sunday. I've just been talking to one of my colleagues about how in my free time, I, I can't. I find it really hard to work with teenagers. Yeah, you know, I work with them during the. You know, that's my job, and that's my patience is worn out during the week. And actually, yeah, you know, kind of teaching the little ones. I don't know how to teach the little ones, 
Because if they start misbehaving and they, then you tell them off and they cry, what do you do then? <laughs> so we have to support these people. If you've got a gift of work, if you, I know that some of you love the little ones. Okay, please support the church in going and working with the little ones and sharing the gospel with them, sharing your passion of the gospel with them. I thank you for the, uh, the team that has come to, to teach about love here. It's something I, yeah, I wouldn't want to do, thankfully. Maybe I should. Maybe I need that. So, but it's also good to have a look at this motley crew that Paul is talking about so enthusiastically. Let's have a look. There is Paul the physician, or Paul the doctor, uh, sorry, not Paul, Luke the physician. Luke the doctor. Yes, that is Luke the gospel writer, the one who wrote Acts. No small character here. Again, if anyone wants to question about the unity of the New Testament, they only need to just look at this little passage because we see how closely, and we, in fact we see that a lot in Acts, that Luke writes about Paul's ministry. Sometimes he's with them, and you can see that Luke writes a we, and sometimes Luke is talking, uh, yeah, relating, and he's talking about uh, Paul as they. But Luke works very closely with Paul. And actually, this one I really missed. We also see... Batteries again. <laughs> it's always the case. Um, oops, sorry. Can people hear me at the back? So I'll, I'll use my teacher voice. Um, so we also see Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. We know about Barnabas. He works with Paul. Um, but many scholars believe that this is John Mark, Mark the evangelist, who was the writer of the gospel. I miss that. Again, links in the New Testament that we are clear and evident. Hello? Okay. Um, Sadly, we see Demas is mentioned, well, he's mentioned twice, but he's, he's mentioned another time in 2 Timothy. Chapter 4, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, 10, you don't need to, uh, to, to uh, turn to it. It says, for Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. A valuable reminder, a sad reminder, but a valuable reminder of, to be careful of temptations of the world, uh, temptations of the world, and to keep our eyes on heavenly things. You see, be careful and look after yourselves and your faith in Jesus. But also be careful and look after the faith of your ministers. Sadly, I have seen a number of ministers in my time who have fallen away. When I was a university student, there was a great teacher called Roy Clements, who used to speak so clearly and so powerfully and logically. That really appealed to me. He was a, a, he was a chemistry doctor, uh, and he was actually converted when he was doing his chemistry doctorate. But then he fell away because, well, he, he wanted to live in a homosexual relationship, and he, he felt that he couldn't be part of the church to do that. And many questioned their faith after he fell away. And the church, uh, the, the college chaplain as well, 
had some uh, scandal about him. And that was sad. I worked very closely with him when I was at university. And people who were on the committee, uh, Christian Union committee with me at university, who I am still friends with, but they show no signs of yeah, being going to the church anymore. Heartbreaking. But a clear warning in the same vein as Jesus speaking about the parable of the sower and the seeds that are sown among thorny ground, the thorns, the temptations of the world choking the Christian faith. Well, we don't know whether these people were Christians in the first place or whether they were just going along with the crowd or they just wanted to look at uh, the part. We don't know. But, and that's a question for another time, but it is heartbreaking to see these things, but it is a warning to us, not only to look to our own faith and make sure that our own faith is staying true, but also to the faith of our ministers. Let's move on. Epaphras, we learn later on in, in Philemon, uh, Philemon, sorry for if, I, if you're disagreeing with the names, um, Sorry, <laughs> Epaphras, um, we see is uh, becomes is a fellow prisoner. He was a Colossian himself, and so he's coming back to his home church, and we see him struggling in his prayers for the Colossian church. We see the importance that Paul places on that valuable ministry. Prayer is so central to what Paul talks about. You see, it's very easy for us to, to dismiss this as the end of Paul's uh, letters, as he always is, is praying for them. But the fact that it is at the end of each of his letters, Paul's prayers, should make us realise how central that is to us. And let's, ha oh, sorry, to our, our faith. Let's have a look at verse 2 to 4. Um, sorry, uh, we'll come back to that in a minute. Um, so... In the UK, there is an interesting, um, I don't know whether this is true for other countries, but there is an interesting kind of uh, situation where the Prime Minister has to be an elected Member of Parliament. Okay, so in the Parliament, there are elected Members of Parliament. I think that's true of quite a lot of places. Um, and if you are in the constituency, that the Prime Minister has been elected from, you're very, very special. The great thing about that is that you can write a letter to your MP and if they're doing their job properly, they should be, they should be replying, reading and replying to your letter. And I think that's incredibly powerful. You get to write to the most powerful person in the country and by their duty, they should reply to you. Don't you see that we have an even more powerful person? And I know that it seems like a silly example, but we have a more, even more powerful person that's just at the end of the line. It is like one of those red phones that ha is in front of the, the President of the United States. Maybe the most, most powerful person in the world. You might not agree with him, but most powerful person in the world. Imagine picking up that red phone. And so we lose the value sometimes of, of the fact 
that we are taught to pray to God. You see, the Jews before this didn't have that. They had to go through the priests of the temple. But Jesus says, Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer to pray, Abba. That is the Jewish version of Daddy. We are adopted into his family by Jesus' death. We are adopted into his family and we can call God Daddy. How amazing is that? The Creator God. We forget that often. You see, power, uh, prayer is powerful and prayer is effective. And so prayer should be a central component of the Christian life. Finally, uh, I'm going to talk about Anisimus, who for me is probably the most significant of the characters mentioned here. And I really wish I had had the time to mention him in last week's sermon. You might have remembered that I, if you were here, that I went over a little bit and we had so much to talk about. You see, Anisimus, we find out in Philemon uh, that... He was a fugitive slave of, former fugitive slave of Philemon. Paul must have been very much, he must have had Philemon and Onesimus very much on his mind when he was was writing last week's passage. He was talking about slaves and masters. Slaves, obey your masters. As you are obeying the Lord. Onesimus ran away and he found Paul. And Paul became like a father to him. And Onesimus became useful to him in serving the Lord. How heart-wrenching must it have been for both Paul and, uh, uh, and Onesimus for him to be sent back to his former master. Yet, the right thing to do, because it's his contract to serve Philemon. Who, apart from being a Christian and part of the church, we know nothing about. Christians aren't always nice guys or girls. Okay, But we don't know whether Philemon was a good master or not. Onesimus was his former slave. Let's read, I'm just going to read what Paul says to uh, Philemon. He says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For perhaps, for this perhaps is why he was parted for you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bond servant, but more as a bond, uh, but, but, sorry, no longer as a bond servant, but more than a bond servant as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? You see, it would have been very easy. I, I wonder whether we, w- we would be thinking this. 
I know I will probably be thinking this. We've got an excuse not to send him back because slavery is wrong. He was probably enslaved for the wrong reasons. And now he's become a Christian and he's serving God and he's doing a valuable work in witnessing for God. So we shouldn't send him back. Or Paul could have, and he says that here, he said he could have just sent a letter to Philemon and said, could you please let Onesimus stay with me? I've discovered your, your runaway servant. He's come to me. Could I please, yeah, could he please stay with me? And then Philemon would have been almost obligated to send, yeah, as a Christian, to send back a letter saying, yes, that's fine. He can serve you in the same way he serves me. But instead, Paul makes sure that he is not obligated in that way. Onesimus is sent back. And you can see how heart-wrenching it was for Paul to do that. Because it's the right thing to do. And you may think, why is that the right thing to do? We have a God who is not just the definition of love. He is the definition of truth and justice as well. This was the contract between Onesimus and Philemon. And Paul knew that that had to be honoured. You see, if we are to become more like God, we have to fulfil our promises. We have to fulfil our contracts. And that's a challenging thing, isn't it? Especially when we think, well, that's not great, is it? That's not an honourable contract. To end with, let's look at Paul's prayer uh, Prayer in verse, uh, what Paul prays for in verse 3. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. That I may, be, uh, may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So there's this uh, Australian preacher and evangelist called John Chapman, who is this uh, bubbly, uh, slightly rotund guy who is just so enthusiastic. I've, I've heard him preach a couple of times. Every morning, I, he, he says he, he pray, prays for opportunities for that day to share the gospel. He prays something like this. God, I'm ready and available. Please give me opportunities to tell people about the gospel today and please don't make it too subtle. You see, we do need help, don't we? Sometimes I do think, oh, that was a great opportunity. I should have shared the gospel then. And sometimes when I actually get the opportunity, I was like, uh-oh, you know, I'm not sure whether I am ready. Um, and yeah, please, God, help me to use the right words. So while we may not be called to be an evangelist, if we care about our friends and our colleagues who are not Christians, those who don't have the promise of eternity, then shouldn't we be praying likewise? God, we want them in eternity with us. We want them to be saved. Lord, help us to be a good witness to them. Give us the boldness and the right words to say to them that they might turn and be saved. So we should be praying.
daily for those opportunities for our colleagues, our friends, and even more our families. That's hard, isn't it? Those of us here who have families who are not Christian. Give us the right words. Give us those opportunities. And please, God, don't be subtle about it. Give us no choice but to talk to them. We say that now with the bravery of not being right there. And verse 5. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of, our, of the time. Let your speech be always gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you might, may know how you ought to pray, sorry, ought to answer each person. I've heard lots of discussion about what it means to, to be seasoned with salt, and I, I did decide to look it up just yeah, to check what I was talking about. And, I, and I've heard that, you know, I've read online that a ca- there's some preachers and some teachers who spend an excessive amount of time explaining about what it means to be seasoned with salt. I found this one uh, interesting website that went through all of the properties of salt and how they could be interpreted in, in a godly manner. Uh, here are a, a list of some of them. The, obviously, the use of salt in flavoring food, the use of salt in preserving food, the de-icing properties of salt, uh, salt as a household cleaning agent. I, I hear it's very good for cleaning out wine stains. Uh, it promotes well-being and balances your body's salts. Uh, it can remove odors, um, and the list went on. You see, we can get a bit ridiculous about this, can't we? It just means that our, our conversations are flavoured. And in the context, it must mean that our conversations are flavoured with our love of Christ, the salvation of Christ, what we have to believe in. Now, no, I'm not saying that we should jam into our conversations Christianity into every conversation. You don't want to be that guy. You know the guy that steers every conversation to how how good he used to be at a rugby and and that uh, yeah that rugby game last night and how his son has become you know this position in rugby and you know oh that analogy it's just like teaching rugby or you know when when I was playing rugby this is what we did. Sorry, I do that as a teacher. I know because I, I my analogies I know often are like oh I, I you know as a teacher I do this and I apologise for that if if every conversation my my friends used to tease me about that, but we don't want to be that person who says oh uh, how's the weather today yes um, it's great it's even greater because I'm a Christian and the God, the, the, the sun is shining on me and I know that God created the sun you know so that we can all uh, all enjoy and blessed are those who are Christians more than you are as non-Christians we don't want to be that guy do we no I'm not saying that but if God is central to our lives we believe that we have the promise of eternity that we love because God first loved us if we have if we're excitedly learning more about God then surely that should flow out from our conversation shouldn't it 
And sometimes we do need practical hints to help us. My former flatmate uh, gave me this tip, and I thought this was very useful. When your colleagues on Monday ask, or your friends ask you, what did you do on the weekend? Try starting with church. Because it's very easy, isn't it, to start with Friday nights uh, or Saturday morning. And you work your way through from Friday night, then Saturday. And the interesting things, I'm sure you guys have wonderfully interesting lives, far more interesting than my, me. Um, and by the time you reach Sunday morning, oh yeah, and I went to church on Sunday. Because you kind of lose the impact of that. I went to church on Sunday morning and I met up with my friends and there's this strange speaker who always bangs on about how he's a teacher. So, uh, and how teaching is great and he hates children. Yeah, um, so, but start with Sunday morning and maybe what you learned, I don't know. You know your friends, what comes into a natural conversation and what doesn't. We don't, certainly nothing except the gospel should be turning them away. And some will be turned away from you because you speak about the gospel. And maybe if you are known for that person who talks about Christianity, that's not a bad thing. That's suffering, a minor suffering to, to lose friends like that, but a suffering for being a Christian. Have an answer for what you, uh, for each person. You see, that's in line with what Peter says. Have an answer for what you believe. Having an answer for what you believe. You see, if we pretend something we're not, then we do we will learn, we will kind of, the people, our friends will see through us very quickly. So, what have we learned from this passage to summarize? Well, apart from Paul's ministry being part of a, a team, please encourage the team, please encourage ministers, please step up and, and serve as part of the body. We also see that we must be prayerful. We must keep this powerful tool of talking to the Creator God as central to our lives. What a wonderful thing that we have there. And what should we be prayerful about? Witnessing and sharing the Gospel. This promise of eternity, this relationship we have with God, the Creator God, this thing that we should give us hope and peace. The peace that transcends all understanding. I hope that as a Christian you have experienced that. And that you continue to pray for that. And I pray that you continue to witness for that. Let me pray. Father, we do pray that we can be salt and light to the world. that our colleagues and our friends can notice a difference when we are there and when we are not. And question and wonder. And Lord, we pray for those opportunities to talk to them about you. And Lord, please 
don't be subtle about it. Lord, give us boldness and give us clarity and fill us with your spirit in those moments that we can speak your words and help us to have peace and trust that you are speaking through us no matter how much we garble the words or how how uncool what we're saying is and how you know how ineloquent we are that we trust you to be speaking to the hearts of our friends our colleagues our family Lord, give us the love to speak to them. Teach us to love as you loved us. In Jesus' name, Amen.